Welcome back to our podcast on Solid Ground. My name is Joe Boyle, and I'm the social media specialist here at Helicon. I'm joined with our CEO, Jay Silver, as well as our guest, David Grinley from Grinley Engineering. So, David, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, sure. I'm a professional engineer. I've been licensed for almost 10 years as a, as a PE. Um, been doing forensic engineering for about 14 years. Um, went to USF here locally, got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in civil engineering. Um, about seven years ago, I partnered up with uh, John Williams. We formed our own company, Grindley Williams Engineering. Um, and yeah, I mean, I basically, I investigate property damage claims for a living. So <laughs> that would be anything from hurricane, hail, wind, roofs that are leaking, um, plumbing pipes that have burst. Um, and then, of course, you know, anything to do with foundations and uh, bad soils and things like that, too. Oh, that's great. So after Hurricane Ian and Nicole, I assume your storm-related inspections skyrocketed. So what type of foundation problems were you seeing? Uh, and it did, well, we just, off camera, we were just talking about uh, seawalls. So that there's been a lot of seawall issues. Um, in very severe cases, we've seen uh, entire properties basically fall into the water, um, partly because of seawall uh, sea failure and partly just because of massive erosion from uh, storm surge. So those are the biggest foundation issues. And then the other things can be just, you know, where scouring has occurred. So okay. water just washes out uh, soil from right underneath of a foundation and leaves it kind of hanging on a little dune or a little cliff there, um, getting ready to fall into the <laughs> yeah. ocean. Uh, if you see, if anyone's seen the photos from like Daytona beach or um, what's that little Wilbur by the sea, I think is a little town over there that there were entire, you know, commercial and, and uh, condo buildings just teetering on the edge of falling into the beach. So wow. uh, that kind of stuff is the, the worst foundation stuff you'll see. Yeah. So like on a scale from one to 10, like how bad would you think the damage was? You had a guess. Ooh, in Fort Myers, uh, Fort Myers Beach, Bonita Beach, um, Sanibel, that's a 10. That's I mean, 10, the, wow. the storm surge and the tide, the, t the waves basically that come along with the surge will just erase things from the surface of the earth. I mean, it's it's extremely uh, powerful stuff. Uh, as you get farther and farther inland, it, you know, it becomes more of a wind issue at that point. And, um, you know, just depending on how good the building is, it's obviously you can go anywhere from one to 10 on that scale. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We're really excited to have you on David and learn a little more about what you were seeing out in the field. And, uh, on Helicon side, we, we saw a lot of the same that you were mentioning the, uh, the Flagler pier mm -hmm. gone, got taken mm -hmm. out. I yep. was a vacation over there with the, the kids. And, uh, that was Nicole that took that one out, but a lot of, uh, scouring over in, uh, uh, Marco Island. Um, our, Senior account uh, executive manager, Bob uh, Bergen, he had to take a boat before the road was open. He went out to the island and got to see a lot of it, you know, hands on and boots on the ground. And, and you're right. It was literally like a, a war zone. It was there was trash lined up as uh, 20, 10 feet along at each side of the road. Uh, a lot of scouring on a lot of the buildings and. We were brought in on some of those to build forming around those building and get flowable fill to at least add some sort of emergency stabilization and get the the, the soil uh, filled back around those buildings. But uh, you know, like you were mentioning, a lot of seawall uh, shifting and in situations like that from the storm surge coming out, mm -hmm. uh, which in turn on some properties would affect the pool patios. Uh, those would settle and, and sink as well as possible 
foundation issues from the erosion and just yep. the, the shifting of everything from the storm mm -hmm. is kind of what we were seeing. And, you know, what you're mentioning on the, we're curious to also kind of see your kind of difference that you saw from the East Coast to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And from yep. my experience on the, the East Coast, uh, seems like the land elevation is much higher over there down to the water edge. And uh, a lot of the damage that we were seeing just was unrepairable. You had to, to rip out and replace, but, but definitely curious to kind of see what you saw as the differences from the East Coast versus the uh, the West Coast damage. Yeah, I mean, any, but just to, exactly what you just said, if anyone's ever driven, you know, up and down the the Eastern, you know, A1A over there, Beachfront Avenue, um, <laughs> It's uh, it's on a dune. I mean, most of it is, is a lot higher up than okay. on the West okay. Coast. And the West Coast, you are basically at or close to sea level. Uh, most of the places in like Sanibel or Fort Myers Beach are maybe four or five feet above sea level. And there's really no dune to speak of that would sort of prohibit or prevent some of those waves from encroaching onto property and smashing into buildings. So. Yes, far more severe on that side. Of course, yeah. that's where the, the landfall occurred, too. So there's always going to be a greater severity, but more of just an erosional uh, issue on mm -hmm. the on the uh, on the East Coast. Gotcha. And what, what do you think was um, why did it why was the damage? Um, I mean, we, we know it was worse on the the erosion on the East Coast. Do you, do you think contributed to some of the construction practices or how the walls were built? Because I notice as you go down uh, to the south on the east coast, once you get to Palm Beach, it seemed like the walls there are much more fortified and stronger mm -hmm. as you go up along the north. Is it just due to the rural nature up there? I was curious from an engineering perspective, why did you see so much seawall and, and retaining wall failure up there versus down, say, Palm Beach and some of these areas that also get hit? But you know, just visiting the two on, on vacation just seems like the walls are... And I'm no engineer, but the walls just seem much stronger and, and more fortified uh, down in that area. I, uh, you're probably correct on that. I, I think a lot of it, whether it's the wall itself or more so just the direction of where the water was going in the storm, because we're mm -hmm. you're speaking of, um, in, you know, in the case of Hurricane Nicole, which came right after Ian, it made landfall in like Vero Beach. So all of that mm -hmm. sort of counterclockwise flow drove a lot of water up to Daytona, uh, St. Augustine, you know, Ormond Beach and those areas up there, which is really the the brunt of that force. Whereas on the south side of the, where the landfall occurred, you know, water's really coming away from shore and not not really being driven up and, and smashing a bunch of waves into right. into the beach. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. <clears throat> so kind of shifting the conversation, what should be the first thing someone does when they notice their foundation is damaged? Yeah, Um First and foremost, depending on how suddenly or severely mm -hmm. you know it's happened, uh, get out of there. Uh, <laughs> don't uh, don't worry about preserving things. You know, worry about preserving your life if it's that severe. I mean, it's pretty rare, but granted, it can de definitely happen. First, get out of the way. Um, the next thing I'd say is take lots of pictures, take video, especially mm -hmm. if there's things happening very, you know, suddenly, like lots of cracking sounds, popping sounds. You're going to want to try to capture that just to, if nothing else, look good on YouTube. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but really just trying to show uh, an engineer or your insurance company, you know, what's been happening. So pictures and video are huge. Uh, the next thing I think the first thing you would probably call would be your insurance carrier. Mm -hmm. um, say try to avoid going to people that, you know, uh, 
like attorneys or public adjusters right out of the gate, but just contact your insurance carrier um, and they will usually send someone like me to go look at it, uh, especially if it's uh, very severe. Um, You know, they may even have me out there before an adjuster gets out there. Um, But, you know, depending on how that goes, um, getting, I'd say, start with a structural engineer. Um, No offense, but (laughs) (laughs) always start with a structural engineer because a lot of the things that are claimed or, or, you know, people are concerned about as being Mm -hmm. a foundation issue, a lot of the time aren't. Um, Mm -hmm. So start with the structure first, get a sense for whether it's actually moving. Is it moving up? Is it moving down? Um, You know, what, what kind of cracks are we talking about? What kind of damage is there? And then depending on what someone like me sees will, you know, we could certainly investigate further and go uh, below the ground and, and see what's really causing it. I see. So on the East coast of your, one of those homes that half of the home is just teetering off the cliff with no soil on it. Don't, <laughs> don't take the pictures from the inside there. Get, get out and take them from a safe, uh, on social where there was a lady in her, in one of those houses taking photos. And on the outside, there was literally no, no soil on about half the house is about to, just go down the uh, go down the hill. Oh my gosh! It's uh, those are the yeah. tough ones because I've had a, a couple of those that come across my desk too. And and the insurance company a lot of the time will just say, "Well, fix it." I'm like, "Well, yeah. you know, there's yeah. I mean, I could be, I could have the hubris and the you know confidence <laughs> yeah. to do that, but maybe that's not the smartest thing. Maybe it's just yeah. let it go into the ocean and you know pay the people." for their for their house <laughs> so uh yeah it's, you got to take everyone case by case but certainly those bad ones are, are are terrifying so there definitely was ones that you saw that were unrepairable beyond I, again, possible repair yeah i mean you could throw <laughs> a lot of money at it and you can mm-hmm. probably bring it back but i mean any the you gotta realize as an engineer mm-hmm. and as a contractor too anything that ever happens with that house down the road they're going to be calling you and saying hey you messed something up so you have to you have to consider those types of things and don't just try to take on the whole world, right? Just, just play and you play your yep. game, stay in your lane. And, and if it doesn't look like this is an engineer, just as I look at it and go, yeah, I mean, I could devote the next like half of a year designing mm-hmm. something for this, but it's probably not worth uh, the time and effort for ultimately what may not work out. So right. um, just knowing when to call it, I think is the key is the key there. Okay. And when the, the structures were not in that catastrophic type uh, state, what typically did you see were the common type repairs that were being done to shore or to, to repair these erosions and uh, foundation shifts and movements? Yeah, if there's, if there's still a seawall and you can fill in behind it, uh, I know we've talked about that kind of thing. Um, the, you know, rest of it is just, uh, it depends on the, the situation, right? It depends on the soil. It depends on whether you're trying to relift something or just stabilize it. Um, so, you know, there's all manner of different technologies that obviously helicon will do um to you know put things back the way they need to be to keep them safe mm-hmm. yeah so besides roofing what other foundation problems did you find with people's homes yeah roofing so obviously with with wind roofing is always going to be an issue usually you know that's not a foundation issue per se i mean it can theoretically be if the whole foundation's moved yeah your roof may have well leak um but beyond that uh, from the windstorm, um, you know, lots of cladding and uh, so like siding that's been ripped off. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of windows that have leaked water. Not necessarily that the windows themselves have failed, but they, they let a lot of water in uh, during uh, the hurricane. There's just tons and tons of rain with strong wind blowing against it. It's going to find its way into the house. So lots of interior water damage. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, beyond that, uh, there have been a few things where, you know, patios and pools and things like that have shifted mm -hmm. and moved around, especially if they were, um, you know, if the if they were in an area where flooding and storm surge really, um, really was a big issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we found where there was uh, pool patios and decking that had settled that uh, we were doing a good amount of two-part uh, polyurethane foam injection mm -hmm. under those to lift and level. And then you mentioned the seawalls. If they were still in good shape and they hadn't cantilevered or kicked out uh, more than six inches and uh, you know the tiebacks are in good shape, we would do a soil stabilization procedure behind the wall and install a new uh, jet filter or pressure relief valve system, which um, you know, I believe are the two most critical components to the seawall is soil stability um, and pressure relief valve system. And if those aren't working properly, it's kind of a domino effect where they'll affect the tieback system. Mm -hmm. And once that fails and the wall shifts out, either kicks out or cantilevers over, it's uh, unrepairable at that point. It has to be ripped out and replaced. And um, as far as our experience goes, it's probably about 70 to 80 percent more to Oh, yeah. rip out yeah. and replace the seawall and not to mention the the mess through your yard and the you know it's a very invasive uh procedure um versus doing the soil stabilization which could can save 70 80 percent yeah no question exactly. especially if you've got a pool constructed right adjacent to where mm -hmm. those tiebacks mm -hmm. are you know you end up potentially yeah. disturbing mm -hmm. the whole pool so um definitely not uh, not a cheap way to go if you have to re redo the entire thing mm -hmm. yeah exactly so uh, what can people do to protect their foundation during bad weather? Yeah, um, hurricane-wise, not a whole lot, uh, which is uh, unfortunate, especially if you're in a coastal community or you're one of those areas that gets that 12-foot waves. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's nature's going to do what nature do, does, yeah. you know, and the um, best thing you can do there is don't be around when it happens. Um, make sure you, you know, batten down the hatches, so to speak, and do, you, do what you can from keeping water out of your windows standpoint, but um, the rest of it is just stay out of harm's way. Um, right. There are, you know, we always hear these people that I'm going to ride out the storm. Yeah. Go take a look at Fort Myers yeah. Beach right now and yeah. tell me you want, want to ride out a storm, you know, in that situation. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, would no. definitely not advise it. <laughs> yeah, not if you're in a flood zone or a storm surge zone. It's, yeah. it's mm -hmm. best to, yeah, definitely uh, evacuate. Yeah, evacuate. And, uh, batten down the hatches, as David mentioned. Um, if you're, you know, some other common things, maybe not for a hurricane that I hear that people can do is make sure your gutters are cleaned out. Make sure you have proper drainage directing water away from your foundation as much as possible. And then possibly maybe with a hurricane or storm surge um, sandbags to also direct water away from the foundation so you don't get that massive scouring and erosion, uh, which could undermine the, the soil support and cause the house to settle. Agreed. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So based on your past experiences, are there parts of Florida where the soil causes people's foundations to be primarily weaker or how about stronger as well? Yeah. Um, so there's Florida's uh, to steal the Forrest Gump line here, but it's like a <laughs> box of chocolates, right? You never know what you're going to get. So especially true with soil. The majority of the state is, and I'm not just, just playing a geologist here for the, for the role I'm in right now, but I'm not a geologist. Uh, but even engineers need heroes, and, and we call those people geologists. So um, so basically, most of the state is, is ancient sand dunes, right? This mm -hmm. is, you know, over the last um, 10, 20, 30,000 years or so, ocean levels have come up and down and deposited a whole bunch of sand in what is now Florida, the peninsula of Florida. So 
after the sand gets there, of course, rivers start to occur and they will wash different sediment down into certain pockets. You get swamps where you get heavily organic soils that mm-hmm. will deposit. And then even in the north part of the state, um, there's there's clay. I mean, you, you know, mm-hmm. clay, people tend to think of Texas or, you know, other, other states having clay, but Florida can have extremely problematic clay as well. Uh, so you... You know, geographically, the, the most of the state is going to be sand. Down in the Miami area, South, South Florida, mm-hmm. there's barely any sand. It's sand with, with, the, with limestone pretty much right at the surface. So um, you're practically building on the rock at, the, at that point. Um, so, yeah, it just depends on where you're at in the state. And there's some of those soils are going to be mm-hmm. a serious issue. Okay. So would you say down in Miami or down that area, you mentioned that the limestone is very shallow. shallow. That would be the stronger areas of the the soil there we see i know we see very little to no sinkholes or or problems down in that area yeah uh agreed yes so Mm -hmm. you're basically building your foundation right on the rock right that's supposed Mm -hmm. to be the smart thing to do about 10 feet is limestone down there or Mm -hmm. less yeah exactly and then the clay zones in florida is that in the ocala band of florida where typically generally geographically does it start and then kind of end yeah some of certainly some in ocala i'd say generally from ocala north so gainesville live oak um some of those areas kind of in that area there's certainly some uh pockets of it in tallahassee and you know everywhere else up there but um but yeah Mm -hmm. i'd say from from Mm -hmm. ocala north there's a little bit of it in brooksville i've come across it over there too um so yeah i mean it's just little pockets here and there Mm -hmm. most of it's going to be on the north end of the state and from your experience david what do you see of the different foundation problems that those clay zones cause to structures versus the sandy loose soils like in spring hill pasco hillsboro um, just regular areas in the state yeah uh they lift they will mm-hmm. lift an entire house up mm-hmm. so whereas you know you think of sinkholes or soil problems uh in general causing things to mm-hmm. fall down yeah. uh if it's a if it's a fat clay or an expansive clay um mm-hmm. when you have periods of drying or you know weather like we've had recently here, um, then it will uh, shrink. And then when you get into that rainy season, it actually swells. And when it swells, it pushes the ground up. And we call that, you know, heave or mm-hmm. lifting mm-hmm. Of, a, of a building. And uh, I saw a statistic the other day, and I don't remember the exact number, but the, it's on the order of billions of dollars a year, mm-hmm. not just um, in Florida, but in the U.S., that expansive clay causes yeah. damage to buildings yeah. more than, you know, most, most other types of soil issues. So. Wow, yeah, a big deal. other states I know that have a problem with clays would be Texas has some good belts of clays that they, oh, yeah. they have a lot of problem soils. Um, what yeah. other states besides Texas and Florida that you kind of think of that have the clay clay yeah. issues? Sure. Uh, some of that, I mean, I think it extends up into Oklahoma, um, you know, and then out west as it as it's it's probably less of an issue because they they're drier. Right. But what the bigger issue where it comes in where. You have areas that get a lot of monsoon type rain or like like a rainy mm-hmm. season. Um, if it stays wet all the time, it's fine. So like you know the Pacific Northwest, you're probably good. Uh, if you're in the desert, you're probably never going to have an issue. But you know where it really mm-hmm. becomes an issue is here in the southeast, where we get that serious rainy season. Right. And then as far as uh, maybe a homeowner, or a, a business owner that is having heave or problems with clays up in those areas. What typically is the common repair to remediate that versus uh, the same person that's in one of the sandier soils without the clays? Yeah, sand gives you a lot more options as far as how to remediate something. When it comes to expansive clay, uh, really the only method that I'm comfortable with would be a sleeved underpin. So basically you have to 
you know, put steel pipe underpins uh, around the the problem area at least. But it, usually, I recommend the entire house just to make sure it's evenly distributed mm-hmm. all the, the load. Um, and that sleeve is basically like a, literally putting your arm in a sleeve, right? So the micro pile or the underpin itself is what's carrying the weight of the building all the way down to bedrock or mm-hmm. some stratum that's that's sound. But you want to isolate that pipe from the effect of that clay that could literally squeeze it back up out of the ground. Um, so the it's like a pipe within a pipe. So the one the one pipe in the middle is the rigid one. Mm-hmm. The one on the outside is kind of a like a sacrificial layer, basically that allows the clay to to move up and down. We've done okay. quite a few of those sleeved projects uh, throughout the years with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is that um, more f- so that the clay can slide up and down on that sleeve, and it doesn't apply frictional force to the actual rigid uh, pin that's inside? Yeah, exactly. So clay is very cohesive. It it sticks to things. If it it sticks to your shoes, it sticks to your shovel. Um, And as it's sticking to the outside of that sleeve, it will, in periods of swelling, it will cause it to lift up. Hmm. But it's only going to cause that sleeve to lift up. It won't cause the actual underpin to lift up. Gotcha. And then likewise in the areas without clays, then we just do the same thing, but without a sleeve. Yep. That's an option for sure. Yeah. Okay. So for those who'd like to know, how long does it take to repair a home's foundation typically? Yeah. So things like uh, what Jay was describing there with the poly foam uh, injections, that can be done in a day. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously with something where it's far more invasive, like the underpins we were just describing, that can be weeks. I mean, Jay would be able to tell you more so than me, but it's going to depend on the size of the house, how far down you've got to drill. Um, so lots of factors there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A lot of different factors that uh, Dave is right on the the chemical grouting. We can lift and level a pool patio usually within a day. Um, if we're doing a sinkhole repair, compaction grouting, chemical grout, mm-hmm. underpinnings, I'd say to give you a, a, a range, Joe, you're looking anywhere from a couple of days to a month in that time frame depending on how large the house is how many underpins Um, we're doing a school project coming up in the summer in deltona Mm -hmm. um, which will run probably about 30 days but that's a a larger billion building with uh probably 100 underpins a good amount of compaction grout and chemical grout right interesting so after seeing so many home foundations ruin what do you see as the future building material if any and any construction methods as well sure um well, concrete is concrete, right? So mm-hmm. we're, from a material standpoint, we're, we're probably still going to end up using concrete. Um, so there's not like a, uh, a new sort of cutting edge type of, <laughs> you know, material you could use for a foundation. Um, so really it comes down to options to improve the soil around mm-hmm. it. Um, and I'd say the bigger thing would be just making sure that, you know, your foundation is elevated up off of um, any area that could be flooded by a storm surge. And in situations like that, it's going to require a deep foundation to make sure that it doesn't scour away. Okay. So that's where either pre-construction underpins uh, or, um, you know, like a drilled augered shaft or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those types of piles would be a really good way to go to make sure it doesn't move if the sand around it starts to move. Okay. And from your like past experiences, did you see a lot of cases when a failing seawall caused a problem like on a pool patio or deck in those kind of situations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not just the, mo- the more recent ones we were just talking about, but um, sometimes if you are built on a slope or if you are built, you know, on, on the water and there's an aging, you know, seawall there, uh, failure of that slope or failure of the seawall um, will 
certainly cause displacement of anything that's above it, right? So whether mm-hmm. that's your house foundation or just your pool or your, your patio, um, we, you know, we've certainly investigated a lot of those. Hopefully it's not something that happens real suddenly and there are times that you can, um, you know, do something to address it before it becomes a big issue. Okay. And then just to uh, wrap things up, what was your team's most memorable experience after these storm-related events? Well, we had some uh, had some fun ones. Uh, you know, I think the, the the coolest one was, you know, as Jay mentioned earlier, when we first had to go out to Sanibel Island and there was no bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our uh, one of our engineers and one of our technicians had to sort of get on a boat, <clears throat> you know, land somewhere near shore, wade wade in because there's no docks there yeah. left. <laughs> and, and they were a good probably 38 minute walk from the actual house they needed to inspect. It was just the only place that the boat captain could yeah. could take them to. Um, so they just commandeered some bicycles that they found and <laughs> and wow. uh, rode around on those. Uh, but, I, you know, that that was kind of a cool bonding experience for those guys. And they took lots mm-hmm. of photos. I, I'd say, I mean, that's the positive side of it. Right. You get to do sort of an adventure of exploring an area that's just been severely damaged and just opening your eyes and seeing what nature can do. Um, and, and if you got a buddy there to do that with and, and enjoy it while you're doing it, um, it's fascinating to us, right? We, we inspect a lot of things that aren't really severe damage. So when you see something that's so eye opening, you, you know, it's a great learning experience and every engineer, structural engineer, at least whenever there is a natural disaster, that's where we really learn and we refine our, practices we we improve our building codes we make sure that um you know damage like this is avoided in the future so it's a great experience in general great yeah for for us joe it was uh back again the bob virgin his boat ride out oh yeah to, uh, to, love bob <laughs> yeah bob virgin his uh his boat ride out to uh was it marco marco island where the bridge was taken out oh, it was no, it was yeah. sanibel island and uh the bridge was out he goes out on this boat with Jenkins Restoration to do these inspections on these condo uh, buildings that were right on the the, uh, the ocean. And to see the photos, uh, what was most memorable to me was to see the first, second, and then the third. Well, the first and second floor, everything completely gone down to the concrete studs. No, no appliances, mm-hmm. no furniture, just like it had been completely gutted and demoed and everything was just gone. Yeah. And then... The third floor, what was interesting, halfway up, everything was gone down to the drywalls, gone down to the studs. But then halfway up, you still had the ceiling fans and some of the drywall where the, you could see the defined line of where the storm surge stopped and just took everything out of it. And it was just it was just gone. Wow. Um, and that was where we were doing the uh, the flowable fill around the foundations with uh, building uh, wooden forms to hold the concrete and then bring in some dirt to support those buildings. But and, it was, uh, and doesn't that just really get put it in perspective the difference between wind and, and the, waves, yeah, the, yeah. the waves, the I mean, waves it was, are unavoidable and they're, they're far, far worse than wind. Yeah. I looked out, I'm like everything just down to the concrete gone. Yeah. Nowhere to be seen out to the ocean, but yeah, the power of the, the water coming in and out versus the wind is just, it's just incredible. It's mind blowing. <clears throat> so that's the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for watching. We just want to say thank you to David for joining us. We really appreciate it. Make sure to like this video and subscribe to our channel for more exciting content. And we will see you on the next one.